Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another week of Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together, especially. We are in Romans, Romans chapter 6. It's going to be great. Welcome, everybody. Hey, child of Elohim. Good morning, Lewis. Good morning, Megan. Glad you had a wonderful weekend. Uh, Mighty Monkey, first time here, he says, binged lots of your work this past month. <laughs> oh, good. Glad to have you with us. And uh, happy Monday, Martha. So, yes, we are in Romans chapter 6. But what do I always tell you about these chapter breaks? They are simply there for convenience so that I can say we're in Romans 6 and you could flip there in your Bible. But there is no break in the context. There's no break in the argument that Paul is making. Uh, it, it continues on from where he was before. So don't uh, don't let the chapter break fool you. So uh, now having said all that, he is, I guess, moving into a little bit of a different uh, a different point, but it's it's tied to and related. In fact, the first word of chapter six is therefore which means he's drawing a conclusion from what he said. So we are going to look at it. And I want to tell you, uh, chapter 6 then is, of course, followed by chapter 7. And if you've done much study in Romans, you know that chapter 7 is a highly, highly controversial chapter. And what I find is most people, when they argue for their position of chapter 7, when I ask the question, how does it relate to chapter 6, they don't know. They can't tell me. That's a problem because we tend to come to chapter 7 from our theological conclusions and try to show that Romans 7 supports my theological conclusion that I bring to the text. Instead of saying, how does he get to chapter 7 from chapter 6? Because it's one continuous argument. So stay with me. Also... Last thing of preparation, uh, I'm going to go slow. Someone said to me uh, recently, uh, it's well, actually a couple of people have said this, that it's been helpful to go so slowly and keep repeating, rehearsing things uh, from earlier paragraphs and such. It helps, uh, helps see what's here. And that's what I want. I don't want to just teach you what I think is true. I don't want to give you my systematic theology. I want to help you learn to study the Bible, and I want to show you what's here, and, and maybe you'll show me. Uh, we can certainly grow together. So uh, we're going to go slow and keep going through this. Hey, Jordan, good morning. Uh, Mighty Monkey is from California. Very good. Hey, Edgar. Dale, Konochiwa, good to have you with us. Uh, <laughs> Edgar wants to go back to chapter one. All right. Um, no. So... Chapter 6 begins with this. Uh, what then will we say? Or, therefore, we will say what? Will we continue in sin that grace may abound? Okay, so some of you have been with us. Why would he ask this question? He asked the question, Show. So we're going to say this. Is this the conclusion we're going to draw? Let's continue in sin so that grace may abound. Why would he ask that? It's obviously a rhetorical question. What from the previous context, or the context, the previous teaching, what would lead to Paul saying, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound. Anyone? This one should be easy if you've been with us. If you know chapter 5. Yeah, Edgar got it. Very good. Sorry, my, uh, there's, there's been an update to the live stream software that I use. And it used to be that it would uh, show me the most recent comments. And that's not happening. So I apologize for that. Uh, Jordan says circumcision. Nope, it's from 520. The law came in that the offense might abound. And where sin abounded, grace hyper abounded. Remember, we talked about this. Yeah, child of Elohim got it. Because Paul says, after explaining why we die and what happened in Adam and what happened 
in Christ, he says, well, then why the law? Why did God give the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments and so on? The law came in so that sin would increase, so that it would abound. The Jews would sin more. But where sin abounded, grace hyper abounded. I like that. That's exactly, that's exactly what the, uh, the Greek says. I like this uh, literal translation here. Hyper abounded. Above and beyond sin, grace abounded. So then somebody might say, well then, let's just keep sinning so that grace can continue to abound. Uh, if you were with us in chapter 3, you probably hear a similar, uh, a similar, what is it, uh, slander. Remember what he said back here? Um, well, uh, sorry, I should have pulled this up before. Um, if our unrighteousness establishes God's righteousness, what will we say? Is God unrighteous who's inflicting wrath? May it never be. Uh, and not as, so, as we are spoken evil of, as certain affirm among us, let's do evil so that good may come. So he's got these people that uh, are twisting his words. And back in chapter 3, he had to deal with this. People are saying, they're slandering Paul, saying, let's do evil things so that good may come, so God can show his glory and his wrath. And Paul says their condemnation is just. They, they're going to get what they deserve. Same kind of thing here. Are we going to say, let's continue in sin so that grace may abound? No. All right, so... This is so important to see what he says next. All right, let me just say it again, especially for those of you who are just listening and can't see it up on, the, on your monitor here. He asked the rhetorical question, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And the answer, of course, is no. No, we will not continue in sin so that grace may abound. Well, why not, Paul? Notice what he does not say. He does not say that would be wrong. Oh, that would be so offensive to God to presume upon his grace. You sort of expect that, right? No, no, of course we're not going to continue in sin that grace may abound. That is totally misunderstanding what grace is all about. No, God is never happy with sin. None of that is Paul's answer as to why we will not continue in sin. Notice his answer. He who died to sin, or sorry, we who died to sin, how will we still live in it? Do you see that? Do you see how different that is from what I was saying? Shall we continue in sin or will we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, 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 no. You can't presume upon God's grace like that. That's not his answer. His answer is, no way. We cannot continue in sin so that grace may abound because we died to sin. And since we died to sin, we cannot still live in sin. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, living in sin. It's, it's uh, at least when I was younger, uh, it was a phrase that was used almost exclusively for someone who was uh, having premarital sex with his girlfriend or living in sin. Well, that's bad. But that's not the point here. He's using the word sin as what in other series I've called a realm. Uh, the realm of sin or, uh, and, and we'll, I'll illustrate this further as we go, but just he's not simply talking about specific sins. He's, he's talking about living in sin as a realm where sin is your master. Now, he already laid the groundwork for this back in chapter 3. 
where he said, uh, where did it go? There it is. Verse 9. What then? Are we, are we Jews better, better than those Gentiles? Not at all. For we charged before both Jews and Greeks with being all under sin. I can't remember if I pointed this out then. But notice the phrasing there. Jews and Greeks are both under sin. Isn't that an interesting way to say it? He doesn't say Jews and Greeks are both sinful or both sinners. He uses this, this phrase, under sin, as in under the power of, under the control of. And then he goes through and he quotes from the Old Testament and shows that Gentiles and Jews are all wicked people. But he started off with that phrase, they are under the power of, under the control of sin. So we see now Paul has been using sin in a variety of ways, uh, it being the, the wrath of God for Adam's sin. And now he's saying it is the control power of sin. And yeah, child of Elohim, very good. So all under the jurisdiction of sin. Well, don't, don't get to the law yet. Hang on. Although I, I see what you're saying because of 520. Well, he'll get there. So just let that resonate for a minute. The reason we will not continue in sin is because we died to the realm of sin. We died to that master sin. And since we died to that realm, you can't still live in it. That's not your realm anymore. That's not your jurisdiction anymore. You tracking with me? We'll see this unpacked as we go. Let's go a little further. Or, and I'm not sure why our literal translation does not include the word or here. Interesting. See, it is so hard to get a, <laughs> a very literal uh, interpretation. Wow. Hmm. I'm not sure what other word they put here. Anyway, or is the next word here. Or are you ignorant and he doesn't mean that pejoratively. He means, are you lacking knowledge? That's what ignorance is, just you don't have the knowledge. And we, we typically mean it as a, almost a synonym for you dumb idiot kind of thing. But that's not, that's not what it means. Or maybe you just don't know this. Do you not know that as many as were immersed into Messiah, Jesus, were immersed into his death? Now, some of you have translations that have baptized here, which that's the word, baptizo in the, in the Greek. Uh, but I like immerse because that gets better at the definition of baptism and the imagery here. Immerse means to be plunged into, to be dipped into. Are you ignorant? Maybe you don't know this. See, you've died to sin. You can't still live in it. Or maybe you don't understand. Maybe you don't know that as many as were baptized into the Messiah, as many as were immersed you were immersed into his death. Well, that's a funny thing to say, isn't it? What do, you, what do you mean, Paul? Well, he goes on. We were buried together. We were buried together with Jesus, with the Messiah. Through immersion into death. So this thing that we call baptism, Paul says, joined us to the Messiah and we were immersed into death. That even as, as introduces a, a similar, simile or a metaphor, right? As Christ, as the Messiah, was raised up out of the literally corpses through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. So some of you are so familiar with this, but 
bears just focusing and making sure everybody understands this. Paul is using metaphorical language here. Jesus died physically, right? His body stopped breathing. His heart stopped beating. Right? He died physically. And he was laid in a tomb. And then on the third day, his body started living again. Right? Basic Christianity 101. Right? Paul here is using this imagery that when you were immersed, when you are baptized into the name of Jesus, into the name of Christ, Paul says you join Jesus. So this is you. This is Jesus, so to speak. When you were baptized, you joined Jesus so that when he died and was buried in the tomb, in some sense, we were too. You were too. And when Jesus came back to life in some sense. So did you. And again, I know this is, I'm, I'm, I'm acting like you're ignorant, <laughs> but I just want to make sure we, we see what he's doing here. Jesus died physically. We died in some other way. Presumably, the people that Paul's writing to here in Rome, he thinks are still breathing. They're still alive. So he doesn't mean they died physically, so they died in some other way. And notice, notice the term he uses in verse 5 here. Likeness, for we've become planted together in the likeness of his death. So he's not saying you actually died in the same way that Jesus did, but there's a likeness. And notice this other phrase, and again, I like the literal here. Uh, what do some of your other translations have in verse 5 there? The NAS has, for we've become united with him. ESV has united with him. Uh, King James has united together. The, the verb, the word is actually planted together. So I'm glad the literal here gets that right. If we have become planted together, and, and united gets at the, at the point, but we've been joined to him, planted together to the likeness of his death, so also we shall be planted together of the rising again. So do you see what's going on? We joined with Christ and his physical death means our death in some sense, in a likeness, and his physical bodily resurrection is our rising again. This Knowing, we know this, that our old man was crucified with him. So now we've been joined with his death. We've been joined with his resurrection. And we're joined with his crucifixion. And here's the purpose, that the body of the sin may be made useless for our no longer serving the sin, for he who hath died hath been set free from the sin. All right, our time is getting away, and I see somebody raised a question that uh, uh, I was deciding whether or not to raise myself, and since someone else raised it, we'll get into it. So tomorrow we'll come back and we'll make sure that we unpack all of this. Uh, Jordan asked the question, is this water baptism? Yes. Yes. Uh, Dale says baptism is a discipleship ritual. So those who follow Jesus are joined to him. Uh, okay. Child of Elohim jumps to where a lot of people do. Jesus baptizes it with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there is nothing about the Holy Spirit in this chapter. Well, at least not in this section, right? So you are, uh, you're bringing something in that Paul does not. Peter asked a good question. Is he still talking to the Jewish Christians at this point or universally? That's a good question. I go back and forth on that. I think universally, but we're going to see starting in verse 14, he begins to head back toward uh, Jews. But I think this is probably would include all. But it's, it's a good question, and I can see it going either way. 
All right, so let me get back to baptism here. So uh, we have so messed up baptism that it provokes this question from Jordan. And uh, let me let me try to say this fairly quickly so we don't have to take all day on this. So again, I want to stress there is nothing here and nothing in Romans about spirit baptism. But the reason people want to go there is because it's a reaction, I think, and I don't know, I'm not trying to say that this is what Child of Elohim was doing, but I've certainly had this discussion with folks where the concern is to make sure that we don't think that Paul is teaching some kind of a baptismal regeneration. And I grew up in a, uh, a fellowship, a church that uh, taught baptismal regeneration. So I, I understand the temptation to, to want to push back against that. But here's what I think is true. Think about the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? At least in Matthew's version. As you're going into the world... Make disciples. How do we make disciples? How does Jesus say to make disciples of the nations? Baptizing them and teaching them to obey all, uh, all Christ's commands. Okay, child of Elohim, baptized into Christ, not water. How are you baptized into Christ? The command given on the, at the Great Commission is baptizing them with water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Read to the book of Acts. That's exactly what they did again and again and again. And here's where we get this wrong. The intended response to the gospel is water baptism. What we have done is we've replaced it with asking Jesus into our heart, which the Bible never says anything like anywhere. Uh, we've replaced it with uh, uh, praying the sinner's prayer, which the Bible never says anything about anywhere. Uh, Child of Elohim says, Matthew is still the old covenant. Well, not after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's not. <laughs> we, have, we have traded what the Bible says that we are to do to respond. When you lead someone to Jesus and they say, I believe, what do I do? You are supposed to baptize them. That is the command. And that is exactly the practice we see throughout the book of Acts. Think about the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer, it's the middle of the night. And the jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks the prisoners are gone. And Paul says, don't kill yourself. We're still here. And he preaches the gospel. And in the middle of the night, what's the first thing they do? They baptize him. Remember when Philip is preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. What's interesting about that text is, there's nothing mentioned about baptism. It doesn't say Philip told him to be baptized. He preached the gospel to him. And, and the Ethiopian eunuch says, wait, here's water. Why can I not be baptized? And Philip says, you can. And he baptizes him. It is the immediate response everywhere in the book of Acts when anybody comes to faith. What we've done is we either baptize babies, which is not a baptism at all. It's just throwing irritating water on their face. There's nothing about doing anything to babies in the new covenant. But we have that tradition that is seriously in error. But then in the quote-unquote Baptist tradition, we, we separate someone's coming to faith and their actual water baptism, sometimes by weeks, sometimes by years. And so you read a section like this, and you think, oh, does that mean 
I wasn't joined to Christ until I got baptized. You know, I, I became a believer at 12, but I didn't get baptized until I was 16. Does that mean I wasn't joined to Christ until I was 16? No, but if, if you had been taught correctly and done what the Bible tells us to do, when you professed faith, you would have been baptized immediately so that in your mind, the day that you put your trust in Christ, that's the day you were baptized in water. For the Romans, I don't think this would have been an issue. Because whoever preached the gospel to them, when they responded, they would have baptized them immediately so that Paul can say, look, when you were baptized, when you were immersed, you were immersed into his death. Because in their mind, the time, the moment they came to Christ was the moment they were baptized. But we've messed it all up. So we need to get back into the habit of preaching the gospel. And when someone says, I'm convicted of my sin, I, I believe what you're saying. What do I do? You say, believe and be baptized. Let me show you one more and then we'll, we'll call it a day here. Uh, this is the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches a sermon, so to speak. He preaches a gospel message, I should say. Right? Here's the response. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. So Peter has preached the gospel to them. They were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the brethren, uh, sorry, the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, if you just bow your head and repeat after me and pray the sinner's prayer. Nope, it's not what he says. <laughs> Peter says, just ask Jesus into your heart. Nope, it's not what he says. Peter said, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. I mean, if you notice here, Paul doesn't say anything about prayer or even belief. They've already expressed belief. What shall we do? We understand we are under the wrath of God. What do we do? And Peter says, repent, change your mind about who Jesus is and be baptized into his name and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. So we have erroneously changed the way the Lord told us to do baptism. And that raises the very question that uh, Jordan raised. If you get back, if the church gets back to baptizing people when they come to faith, then this kind of question is not a, a problem because everyone would associate the day they came to faith is the day they got baptized. Does that mean baptism actually saves the person? No. Is it possible for someone to have a false profession and get baptized? Yes, in which case all they're doing is taking a bath. But when the faith is real, baptism is the scriptural instructed response to faith. It's all over the place in the scripture. Uh, Jordan says there's so much confusion about this. Yeah, and there, there doesn't need to be. John baptized with water. That's true. So did Jesus. Uh, yes, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, but that's not the same thing as water baptism. Uh, Edgar says churches nowadays make you take a class and wait to get baptized. Yeah. Now I want to say this. When you have people like the Jews in Acts, or if you were uh, preaching the gospel to Muslims, when you have people that are, um, are very clearly pagan or obey a false religion, when they convert, it's, it's obvious, right? If someone's a Muslim and they come to faith in Jesus, uh, it, there's no question that they mean what they're saying. The problem comes in uh, the children of believers, and I don't have time to get into that today, it's, uh, uh, but you know, I raised my children from day one to, to follow Christ, to obey Christ, to call Jesus Lord, and so on, knowing full well that they, 
I couldn't be sure that their faith was genuine. So, you know, what do we do with those who raised in the church? That's a separate question, and, and I, I could give you my answer someday. But for someone, but I just want to draw your attention. Everyone in the Bible was a first-generation Christian. Everyone in the New Testament was a first-generation Christian. And uh, so there, there's a legitimate question to be raised about, uh, you know, your children, if you're a believer, and when, how do we know when their faith is, warrants baptism? But that doesn't change the fact that the instructed response to the gospel is baptism. Dale says, yep, baptism was an existing discipleship ritual, and Jesus used it and gave it greater meaning. No regeneration required and no babies allowed. <laughs> Uh, child of Elohim, why do we water baptize? Well, that's that's what I'm getting at. That's that's the command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's water baptism. It is, it's the initiation rite that God gave to the church. Uh, Edgar says, I have heard Christians say, I'm not ready to get baptized yet. Yeah, well, they've been taught poorly. Um, if they have faith, they need to be baptized. So this is child of Elohim. So we don't get water baptized for our salvation. Is that what you're saying? Well, uh, you do, but the water itself can't save you. Uh, we get water baptized after we believe. Well, you should get water baptized at the time that you come to faith. I'm going to leave it here because this, this is a long conversation. But uh, here's how I like to think of it. Baptism is the wedding ceremony between you and Jesus. Now, that doesn't work exactly because, strictly speaking, we're not married yet. It, it, it's when he returns. <laughs> so I'm going to confuse everything. But it's like our wedding ceremony. It's you saying, I do, to Jesus. So if you're not a believer and someone preaches the gospel to you, and uh, yes, child Elohim says, our faith saves us, yes. And what the scripture tells us that we are to do to acknowledge, to, to respond in faith to the gospel is baptism. Look again, look right here. Yes, all that you're saying is true, child of Elohim. Faith save us by his blood. But look what Peter says on the day of Pentecost. Their question is, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and each of you be baptized. See that? They believe. They believe the gospel. And they say, what do we do? And Peter says, in effect, show your belief by being baptized. It is the initiatory rite ritual that Jesus gave that we are to perform when we come to faith. That's, that's what it's given for. All right. You, you've provoked me. I, I know this is going long, but let me, let me pull up one more, uh, one more thing here. Uh, hang with me. A little, little side music, please. Do, 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 do. Uh, nope, that ain't, that ain't it. Where is, uh, uh, all right, well, I'm going to go here and say this is easier. Uh, do you even lift, bro? What's going on with you guys? Uh, let me do it this way. All right, we're going to go to Acts chapter 8, okay? And this is Philip. So Philip gets up and he, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He's 
returning. He's, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so the eunuch is returning and sitting in his chariot and he's reading Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. So Philip ran up, heard him reading Isaiah. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, well, how could I unless someone guides me? So you get the idea? There's this eunuch who has been to Jerusalem to worship the Jewish God. He's going back to Ethiopia. So he has somehow, somewhere along the line, he has come to hear about the God of Israel. And he believes in the God of Israel. And he goes to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. And now he's riding back in a chariot to Ethiopia and he's reading from Isaiah. Okay, tracking with me, child of Elohim. And here's the passage he's reading. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet, say, prophet speak this, right? Then Philip opened his mouth and began from the scripture. He preached Jesus to him. So the eunuch is reading Isaiah and Philip says, yes. This is about Jesus, right? That's all it says. Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? So Philip is preaching Jesus from Isaiah to the eunuch. It does not say he preached baptism. But obviously he did. Because as soon as the eunuch sees water, he says, can I not be baptized? What prevents me? I believe you. I believe, Philip, what you're saying. That this, this prophecy in Isaiah is talking about Jesus. You've convinced me. What do I do? And Philip obviously said, be baptized into the name of Jesus. And the eunuch says, look, there's a, there's a pool right there. There's a lake. Can, we, can I be baptized? Now, this next verse is probably not in the scripture. So I'm going to skip to verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. They didn't go down into the spirit. They went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And I could go through example after example in the book of Acts. The immediate response every time in the book of Acts. Every time. In fact, I told you I wasn't going to go here, but oh well. Um, you can always turn it off. In, uh, in chapter 10, when Peter is preaching to Cornelius and his household, He's preaching the gospel and the spirit comes down on them and they all start speaking in tongues. Obviously, they all already are filled with the spirit. All right, I'm just going to, I've already gone over time, so we might as well go here, right? Uh, they're already filled with the spirit. And... All right, let me show you. So Peter is still speaking about Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. And the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. So Peter is before Cornelius and his whole household. He's preaching Jesus and forgiveness. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. You see that? These people, the Gentiles, have received the Spirit. How did everybody know they'd receive the Spirit? Because they're speaking in tongues. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, can he? Do you see how ingrained it is in Peter that believers are to be baptized? He's preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit shows up. All these people start speaking in tongues. Clearly, they've received the Holy Spirit. And Peter's first concern for these people who believe and who are filled with the Holy Spirit is get them in the water. 
It's a big deal. See, what we do is we overreact. And we've been taught so strongly not to ever present water baptism as though it saves that we have basically (laughs) washed away what the Bible so clearly teaches baptism is for. We got to keep going. Child of Elohim says, I'll keep studying, LOL, not the first time I would have been uh, taught. Yeah, good, keep going. Uh, is there actually a separate filling of the Spirit apart from salvation, a baptism of the Spirit? Uh, I don't have time right now. Um, yes, Acts 10, so they didn't get baptized in the water to be saved or filled, but because of... Well, again, you're, you're drawing a... Um, Uh, all right. Uh. <laughs> look what uh, look what Peter says. Uh. Here I am going against all all my uh, instruction to you to stay in the text. Oh, well. Um, uh, Let's do, let's see. All right. Look what Peter says. Corresponding to Noah's Ark, baptism now saves you. Oh, you're not frustrating me at all. Sorry, I'm frustrated myself because um, I'm not frustrated. I'm just, uh, I'm conscious of the time, but look look what Peter says. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Those are words that Peter is willing to write. And there is nothing here that says anything about the Holy Spirit. His illustration is, in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the what? Through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism, water baptism, now saves you. And now he gives us one important qualification. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. Getting in the water, taking the bath is not actually what saves you. But rather an appeal to God for a good conscience. This is what water baptism is intended to do. It is our appeal to God for a clean conscience. It's when you come to faith and you realize, I'm dirty. My conscience is not clean. I'm a sinner. Lord, is there any way to wash me clean? And someone preaches to you and says, yes, Jesus died for your sin. And tells you about the cross and his blood and all that. What do I do? Be baptized as an expression that you truly do believe. And appeal to God for a clean conscience by being baptized. Not that the water saves. There's no power in the water. But it is the intended expression of faith. Yep, child of Elohim, Hebrews does say Jesus' blood purges the conscience. That's because what water baptism reminds us of is that we have joined with Jesus who died for our sins. So Hebrews does not in any way negate the instruction that you are to be Baptized. Let me show you one more. So you're uh, in uh, 
in Acts 22 here, Paul is recounting his conversion on the road to Damascus. And Ananias, you remember, was sent to Paul to give him his eyesight back. And look what he says. Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that time, I looked up at him and he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear an utterance from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to all men of what you've seen and heard. Now, why do you delay, Paul? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Child of Elohim, do you see this? I know you're quoting other passages. Well, look at this one. Get up and be baptized, Paul or Saul, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How are we supposed to call upon the name of the Lord? Through baptism. So I so often have to push back against two errors. For those that say, if you believe the gospel, but you didn't get in the water, you can't be saved. I say, I don't think that's true. Faith is what saves us. But how are we supposed to show that we have faith by being baptized? If you don't get baptized, you have been taught poorly because the intended response to the gospel is baptism. Yes, child of Elohim says, when we believe, yes. And I'm showing, look, you see this? Paul believes. What is he supposed to do to show that he believes? Get baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. How do I call upon the name of the Lord? Be baptized. It's what he says. So all these other passages that uh, you're bringing up do not negate this one. I know it sounds like she and I are fighting. We're not fighting. We're, we're just wrestling through this. Uh, Amy says, uh, isn't one or the other? It's both showing commitment and getting covered in the blood of Christ that we can be forgiven and rise. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I, again, we, we have to be careful. Baptism itself, the water itself doesn't save anybody who is baptized who does not genuinely believe that baptism does nothing because there's no power in baptism babies don't get anything someone who's falsely claiming to believe the gospel they get baptized they don't get that does nothing for them and i don't think if you've been taught wrongly if you have true faith in Jesus and the people who led you to Jesus did not tell you to be baptized, it's your faith that saves. So if you were taught poorly and you didn't get baptized or you died on the way to the tub, your sins are still forgiven because it is faith that brings justification. Romans 3 and 4 and 5. But that does not negate what Jesus taught, what Peter taught, what Paul taught, what Ananias taught, that the way we are expected to demonstrate that we truly believe is through water baptism. You see the difference? So someone wants to say you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, no, but don't push that to say, well, then baptism is not important. It is important. It is the intended response to the gospel. Uh, would the that to which baptism corresponds to Noah's Ark or Christ's suffering for sins, I tend to read it as the latter. Uh, well, I, I think it's both and. It's Christ's suffering, but the water and the Ark, uh, he, he's drawing an illustration uh, from both, I think. Um, I don't know that Jesus would have done it if it weren't that important. Jesus did it to receive the priesthood according to the law, as I understand it. Uh, where, where, where does the Bible say that Jesus was baptized to receive the priesthood? Uh, Amy says, confession of faith saves and obedience. Baptism is an act of obedience. Yeah, uh, sort of. 
but I think that's confusing to say it that way. It's, it, it's never called an act of obedience. It's, it is the, and think of it this way. It is the initiatory right ritual, R-I-T-E, the initiatory right for someone who believes the gospel. It's the, it's the wedding ceremony. It's, it's the I do. Um, the Bible doesn't say anything about a wedding ceremony, right? In, in terms of requirement. Nowhere does it say you must have a wedding ceremony to be married. But in our day, our custom is when two people get married, they get married at a wedding ceremony and they exchange rings and they say, I do. No, that's in the Bible. But it's the initiation rite. It, it's, the, it's the wedding ceremony that, that we've created that two people come married, get married. In, in a similar way, now, this is in the Bible. Baptism is the way. The repeated examples I gave you, when someone comes to faith, the immediate response is be baptized because Jesus said, go baptize. Believe and be baptized. Exactly. So getting baptized is a statement of our faith, like an outward showing to others. Uh, not, an, not to others. The Ethiopian eunuch wasn't showing anybody. No, no, this is showing Jesus. This is saying, I do, to Jesus. Again, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? There's no church service there. They're in the middle of the desert. And they find some water. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, can I be baptized? Philip doesn't say, no, 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 no. Just go on down there to Ethiopia and find a good church and go through your baptism class. And what you want to do is give a testimony to the believers there in Ethiopia. No, that's not the point. It doesn't matter if there's anybody around at all. In the uh, Philippian jailer story, Paul doesn't say, hey, let's go gather the church together so they can all witness this. Baptism is not for other believers. It is you saying I do to Jesus. Amy says, I agree. Not sure why people separate it. Well, because uh, most have been taught that baptism is something you should do eventually, whether you do it now or not. Um, uh, Jordan says, it's faith that saves. Baptism is faith at work. Yeah, kind of. I still prefer the, it is your declaration to Jesus, your expression to Jesus that you believe the gospel. Yeah, child of Elohim, Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And there's nothing there whatsoever about priesthood. Uh, you said it's a requirement of the high priest office. Uh, show me. Uh, show me where the scripture says baptism is a requirement of a high priest office. Uh, all right, Dale's wanting to go back to Second Peter. All right, so we're, all right, I'm going to call it. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. <laughs> no, it's good. I figured we would get there and fair enough. All right, so uh, tomorrow we are not going to go back and uh, spend all this time on baptism, um, but we are going to look at what it says about being dead to sin. So look at that in context of chapter six here and see the amazing truth that Paul says in Christ, we are dead to sin. It's very encouraging. All right. See you tomorrow. Take care.